we have no idea that for two weeks, this, the two weeks we've been at sea, they've been tracking these things coming out of the sky. And when I talked to the Prince controller, he's like up to about a dozen of them. They would come down from above 80,000 feet. They'd drop down to about 20,000 feet. They'd hang out and then they'd go straight back up after about three or four hours. So we were on one of the first goes, you know, it's, you know, noon, one o'clock, somewhere around there. So I'm like kind of chuckling. He goes, well, hey, we're gonna cancel the training. So we're like, okay. He says, we got real world vector and they're gonna send us out to the West. We have no idea what we're intercepting. And this is when the, the controller starts talking to us. He says, hey, sir, we've seen these objects. They've been, for two weeks, they've been coming down and he's given us the whole story. He says, we need you to go investigate. We wanna know what these are. So we start flying out to the West. We have no idea what we're going to look at. So they got to a point where they say, hey, merge plot. You can't tell the difference between me and the object I'm going at. We're just become one big blob. So as we're looking around, we, we look to the right and there's a, it's, it was yesterday was a perfect example out here. The water is perfectly calm, no white caps. I mean, it's literally a perfect San Diego, California day. And we see white water, something like if you see a seamount, you know, rock underwater when you're standing on the shore and the waves are breaking over it and you're like, what is that? It's usually because there's a rock under the water. So it looks like that, but it's about the size of a 737. It actually kind of has a shape of like a cross and it's pointing to the east. So you've got the long part going east-west and you got a couple of things going north and south. We look down and the, the Wizzo in the other airplane comes up and says, hey, Skipper, do you? And that's about what he gets out of his mouth. And I'm kind of looking at the same thing. I go, dude, do you see that? What is that thing? And what we see is this white tic-tac looking object just above the surface of the water pointing north-south and it's going north-south, east-west. It's just radically moving forward, back, left, right at will. And it's moving around the disturbance, the, the white water that we see. It's about, about the size of a hornet, fuselage. So that's why you say 40 feet. So what is it? So the first thing you look for is rotor wash. You know, if you've watched any TV show that starts kicking the water up and you can see that it's really easy to see from the air. So we're like, oh, no rotor wash. Matter of fact, don't see any rotors. Don't see any tail rotor. Don't see any, you know, the main rotors. We're like, that's kind of weird. So as we're driving around, we're looking at this thing. We get to about the nine o'clock position. So I said, I'm gonna go check it out. That's what we're trained to do. The other pilot says, hey, I'm gonna stay up here. And I'm like, that's perfect. So now we'll, we'll get some separation. We'll get it from different views. And the other airplane will kind of have a God's eye view of everything that's going on as I go down and check this thing out. So I start driving around and it's still doing its forward, back, left, right. It's still pointing north, south. So I got this nice easy descent. I get to about 12 o'clock. And as I'm coming down, you know, I, yeah, I could guess probably about, you know, 18,000 feet now, a couple thousand feet below the other airplane. The tic-tac just kind of rapidly goes boop and turns. So now it's kind of pointing east, west, and now it mirrors us. So it's above the surface, we're up high, we're coming down, it starts coming up. I'm like, well, this is getting interesting. So we kind of drive all the way around a circle, I'm descending, it's coming up, and I get over to about the eight o'clock position of the, on the clock, and it's over at about the two o'clock position. Well, the quickest way, as we know as kids, to get someone, you know, you can keep going around the circle, nothing's gonna happen, you cut across the circle. So I'm about, I don't know, probably two to 3,000 feet above it, and I just kind of drop my nose aggressively and I cut across the circle and it's coming this way. And as I'm pulling up, it's kind of starting to cross my nose and it starts to accelerate. And within about less than a second, as I start to pull nose onto it and it crosses right in front of me, it just goes poof and it's gone. So I call the other airplane and I said, hey, do you guys, do you guys see that thing? And they're like, sir, it's gone. So we, we don't see it, we're looking. At the same time, I say, hey, let's turn around and let's go back to see what was in the water 
you know, there's, was there something there? So we turn around, we're right there. We haven't gone anywhere. It's gone. Water's perfectly, there's no white water, nothing. It's just blue. So we turn back around, now we're heading back out towards the east, and I tell the controller, I said, well, I'm kind of weirded out. And we start heading back, and the, the controller on the Princeton comes up and he says, sir, you're not going to believe this, but that thing is back at your cat point. That was our original point where we were going to hold 40 miles south of the ship. This thing has went from wherever we were at to, you know, about 60 miles in, you know, maybe 30, 40 seconds. It's already over there. And it just, and they didn't track it. It just appeared. So we're like, okay. That was retired U.S. Navy fighter pilot, Commander David Fravor, a very highly and well-regarded individual, recalling his close encounter with the so-called Tic Tac UFO that occurred on the 14th of November of 2004 while on training exercises off the coast of San Diego. In December of 2017, the New York Times released an explosive report confirming the existence of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, secretly ran by the Pentagon that studied military encounters with UFOs, along with details and video evidence of one extraordinary encounter in particular that I'll be talking about today, known as the USS Nimitz Incident. This confrontation between a military fighter pilot and an unknown object brought the UFO topic into the modern age and has since set the precedent that UFOs are in fact serious business and a constant reality to deal with by those within the Defence Department. As we begin this look into the Nimitz case, what really stands out to me as an important note to keep in the back of your mind as we start here is that it was for two weeks before Commander Fravor's main encounter that radar aboard the USS Princeton had been picking up and tracking multiple highly anomalous unidentifiable objects, appearing in clusters at extremely high altitudes of 80,000 feet, which is essentially the edge of outer space, and even more bizarrely, moving at very slow speeds for that altitude at around 100 knots. Any conventional aircraft flying that slowly would just fall out of the sky. They are also tracked at very low altitudes, as low as sea level. So on the morning of November the 14th, aboard the USS Princeton as a part of the Nimitz Battle Group, radar operator Kevin Day notices a cluster of 14 unidentified objects on radar. He confirmed with the USS Nimitz that they were seeing the same thing on their independent radar. This reassured Day that the objects were not just false readings. These objects were soon tracked, changing altitude extremely rapidly, and being able to stop instantly on a dime with almost surgical precision. Incredible accelerations that we aren't capable of today, and likely won't be in 50 years, let alone in 2004. As an example, on one particular occasion, Princeton's radar had tracked an object that had been sitting stationary at 28,000 feet and in an instant dropped to sea level in 0.78 seconds. So if you can imagine 28,000 feet to sea level in 0.78 seconds, that's instantly 
and stopping just as instantly above the surface of the ocean. It's really hard to imagine what that even looks like, but to try and put it into perspective, that equates to a speed just over 30,000 kilometres per hour. It's also pulling 5,000 Gs. G-forces like that would instantly liquefy any biological pilot and even with today's material science, any object we could create would instantly be ripped apart and become a fireball falling into the ocean. In fact, that is a textbook example of instantaneous acceleration, one of the five observable flight characteristics of genuine UFOs coined by the Pentagon. Performance that is just off the charts, it's hard to imagine. So we have here objects being tracked at the edge of space, all capable of being able to move in ways that already break our understanding of physics. Is it that much of a stretch to say they came from space? The radar operator, Kevin Day, he's also stated that they were tracking over 100 objects over the course of that week. The crew members on board had actually reset and recalibrated the equipment in hopes to clear out any potential glitches within the software of the system. The result of that were that the detected objects now came through even more clearly. These objects are as real as the nose on your face. So two weeks of tracking these anomalous objects, radar operator Kevin Day, he finally gets the go ahead to make a real world intercept to find out what these things are. So he, ra he radios Commander Fravor. He was already in the air training with a wingman to cancel training and to do a real-world intercept of one of these objects. So we have two F-18 Super Hornets now being vectored into where the radar is tracking an object. Fravor mentions here that his radar signature and that of the UFO have entered a merge plot on the Princeton's radar screen and the object should now be within visual range. As they're looking around, they spot the white water that he mentioned on the surface of the ocean in the shape of somewhat like a cross, as though something were just below the surface. Above this, they can see the white tic-tac-shaped object making extremely rapid and abrupt manoeuvres, left, right, forward, backward, extremely erratically. Fravor went on later to describe the movement like a ping-pong ball in a glass, or if you threw it against a wall. So Fravor then makes a dive and circles down toward the object, which seems to become aware of him rapidly approaching and turns to face him. It then starts to climb, seemingly mirroring his flight pattern, and the two become locked into a circling showdown with one another. Fravor decides to aggressively turn and cut through the middle of the circle and close the gap between his aircraft and the object. As the object crosses in front of his fighter's nose, it simply vanishes in a burst of instantaneous acceleration. Following this, the two F-18 Super Hornets were directed to head to a set of coordinates known as the Cap Point, about 100 kilometres away. What happens next, in my opinion, is the highlight of this entire encounter. So within seconds of the object vanishing, the pilots were then informed of radar having detected the object 
now at the cap point waiting for them. This is a spot in the sky. The cap point coordinates are highly encrypted within the Navy's systems. Somehow this object was able to either hack through the encryption or just simply somehow knew two steps ahead of Fravor where they were going to be next. It brings the question to my mind, how could you possibly fight something should it decide to become hostile if it knows where you're going to be ahead of time? If it's always two steps ahead of you, you're done. So the following day after the incident, radar operator Kevin Day aboard the Princeton goes down to the central headquarters of the ship to get the logs from the day before, and they had all been deleted. That was strange, and he said that he had never seen that happen. Another crew member aboard the Princeton, Gary Vorez, he made a claim that he was ordered to hand over all radar recordings and to delete the logs that Kevin had been looking for. It was said that some men in plain civilian suits had landed aboard via helicopter and chain of command ordered the removal of all the tapes, which these men confiscated and took away with them. This is extremely strange as it would indicate some outside group monitoring the situation are involved in covering up the incidents of that day. Nothing more has really been said about this or elaborated upon since, and it just leaves the entire incident with more questions than answers. Since that time, footage taken of the Tic Tac by another fighter pilot from that day has been given to the public, and the Navy have verified the authenticity of that video. You may have likely already seen it, but if not, simply type into Google or YouTube Tic Tac Navy footage, and you can see the official Navy footage yourself. It's not a hoax. It's a genuine, verified, unidentified object. The experts at the Defence Department who are tasked with looking into these incidents, they've gone right through the rigorous process of elimination and have come to a definitive conclusion. This thing isn't ours, nor does it belong to any other nation's known military inventory. So who's responsible for this thing? It's operating on some principle of physics we don't quite understand. It's not theoretical. It existed in three-dimensional space and time. So someone has to have manufactured it. One long-standing proposed explanation is that of a secret military test of hardware on unsuspecting fighter pilots. Could this have been that? Well, until we know for certain, yeah, it's possible. Anything is possible. However, if you're testing something, well, that's one thing. If you're testing something that is interfering with a training operation at close range, with the speeds and manoeuvres that you're pulling in that hardware, that's a really dangerous thing. Lives could easily be lost doing that. Not only incredibly dangerous, but incredibly irresponsible, and it would have to be completely illegal. Going back to the mental note we made earlier, remember also that it was we, as in the Navy, we stumbled onto this. First via radar signatures for two weeks before the order was given to make a real-world intercept. 
So whatever the tic-tac object is or what they were, because there were multiple of these things, they're dropping in from the edge of space or possibly from outer space instantly to sea level for two weeks, possibly commandeering with something larger under the water. That doesn't seem consistent with a test of some hardware. To me, that's a full-scale operation of some type. Just recently, within the last few days of recording this episode, there has been a news article released on April the 15th of what the United States Geological Survey describes as a non-earthquake event Friday morning of that week, southwest of Santa Catalina Island. It places it almost exactly at the spot the Navy encountered the Tic Tac. The article reads as follows. The earthquake report issued before 10am indicated the quake was centred in the ocean about 18 miles southwest of Avalon on Catalina Island, according to the US Geological Survey. People also reported shaking on the USGS Did You Feel It page. The USGS later tweeted that the earthquake detection system was triggered by something else. Details about what triggered the system were not immediately available. Human activities like mining and construction blasts can sometimes create seismic waves large enough to be detected by the USGS National Seismic Network. It's definitely an interesting area. It's also come to my attention that roughly 550 kilometres south of this area, off the coast of Baja, California, just west of Cedros Island, are extremely anomalous looking structures on the ocean floor. They're long, they're very straight, one with a right angle turn. They appear to be raised off the ocean floor and look somewhat like tunnels or enormous industrial piping. These can be seen on Google Earth and appear at first glance to be artificial. While they may just be an imaging artifact or a glitch, I have sent emails with the Google Earth coordinates to a handful of professional oceanographers. One has since replied to me, stating, definitely something that needs to be studied more. Those features don't fit in with the geography around it. Usually straight lines like that indicate past glacier movement, but I'm not sure if that's the case. It's almost reminiscent of the Nazca lines. Better mapping needs to be done there. So if anyone is listening and is curious to see this themselves, just simply type into Google Earth, Cedros Island, that's with a C, C-E-D-R-O-S, Cedros Island, Baja, California, Mexico. This will take you right to the area and you will see the anomalies I'm talking about. So it's been a huge step that we can openly acknowledge that something is going on here that we can't explain and that something quite extraordinary has been happening in our world. For those that have acknowledged this or even if you're just coming into this topic now, you might want to consider the implications of everything and of what this means. Are they, whoever they are, are they building something out there? Is it a supply run to an already built base of operations under the ocean? Is, it, is the Tic Tac just like one piece to an intergalactic processing line? 
or a mining operation hauling material off-world? There's lots of questions, potentially disturbing answers, but we need to ask them. The reality of the UFO phenomenon now is being confirmed more and more as time goes by. As I said before, it's clearer than ever that something quite extraordinary has been happening in our world. The militaries and the governments that have scientific evidence that we aren't alone need to give that evidence, the data or even material that they have in their possession and give it to the world, to the scientific community. So each nation can collaborate in order to get to the bottom of this. We can't continue to ignore it because it's simply too unbelievable. It's happening. And it's about time the secrecy was replaced with transparency so we can all approach this. This belongs to humanity. Most commentators on this topic in mainstream media, they don't go as far as this to offer potential explanations. They'd rather just say, well, it's unexplained. It's a UFO. That means unidentified flying object. It does not mean aliens. And just leave it at that. So they take us that far and they leave us. So it's up to us to think about and discuss things going forward. There's more evidence now than there isn't that's been found in support of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. The famous well-regarded physicist and author Michio Kaku made quite the stir in September 2019 when he spoke about the recent scientific data collected from the Navy's encounters, aiding science on previously unknown metrics about UFOs. This is what he said. We now know they fly between Mach 5 and Mach 20, 5 to 20 times the speed of sound. We know they zigzag so fast that any pilot would be crushed by centrifugal force that they have no exhaust that we can see. We've reached a turning point. It used to be that believers had to prove that these objects were from an intelligent race in outer space. Now the burden of proof is on the government to prove they're not from intelligent beings in outer space. The possibility that these are vehicles from other planetary civilizations now has to be put on the table. In my mind, I can't conclude anything other than we aren't alone. It's extraterrestrial, or maybe a more fitting, broader conclusion would be it's non-human intelligence. We just need to ignore the obvious blocks in our human tendency to think we know all there is to know, and see the clear evidence that there's someone or something else here with us right now. And with that, I hope you've enjoyed this episode on the broader implications of a confirmed UFO event such as the Tic Tac Encounter. This has been your host, Jai, on the Singularity Point podcast.